I'm uh, going to take a step of faith here and welcome the folk from Hope Tikiponga and Onorahi uh, to our service at this stage via Zoom. Uh, we've moved into phase two of our uh, holiday services here at Hope and we're meeting back in our three sites. However, we're still coming together for the message um, because we've got uh, staff out on holiday and uh, we're just uh, getting through this holiday time. But in February, we'll get back to having our preaching staff all together and we'll get back to uh, uh, having live messages at each site and get back to our major series for the year, uh, which is looking at the book of Revelation, which I know is going to be really exciting. And as someone who's having to preach those messages, also very scary at the same time. And over the last three weeks, Lorne has been preaching a series looking at the start of Jesus' ministry and what it has to say about following Jesus into this new year. And uh, he did it in very good uh, evangelical uh, biblical preaching style by having alliteration for all three messages, didn't he? That we can talk about the blessings and the battles and God's able to provide for us beyond belief. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon. It's a short letter, only 355 words in the original Greek, and that's about the average for correspondence in the Greco-Roman first century world. And of course, there was a lot of speculation early on about this letter on whether or not it should be included in the New Testament canon. Despite the fact that Paul says here, I write this in my own hand, there were those who had some discussion about whether this was in actual fact a letter from Paul. But the main issue was that it did not add anything to our theological understanding. It didn't soar to the great heights of Romans or Ephesians. However, as biblical commentator Scott McKnight says, this letter's value comes from the fact that it's highly suggestive of how our theology, our understanding of God and Christ, is worked out at ground level. Maybe in modern terminology, where the rubber hits the road. In this short letter of Philemon, we catch a glimpse into how the gospel of grace and our Christian faith steps into a specific real-life situation, a very serious pastoral issue on a personal level and a very challenging social level uh, on a, a wider scale. Paul is writing to Philemon, a house church leader, and also a slave owner probably in the city of Colossae, and he is acting as an advocate for a runaway slave, Onesimus, asking that Onesimus be welcomed as a Christian brother, be forgiven and released so that he can serve as a co-worker with Paul in his gospel mission. And we're going to take two weeks to look at this letter this week we're going to focus on the pastoral issue of reconciliation with a fellow believer, what Paul calls the way of love. And it's helpful for us because we may be involved in situations where relationships are strained and broken 
because of what we have done to one another or where we're having to decide how we will respond to someone who has wronged us. Or even we might find ourselves in the position as Christian brothers and sisters or leaders uh, and helping fellow believers who have found themselves in that situation. How do we act and react and bring about reconciliation? Philemon is a letter that takes us into a story, and as you've noticed, it's sort of stepping into the story without a beginning or an end. You see, we don't know what the start of the story was, and we don't know the outcome. This letter is simply the place where the grace and peace that Paul blesses Philemon, his fellow and his fellow leaders, both men and women, and the whole church can step into the story. And from the letter we know that Paul at this time is in prison, probably in Ephesus rather than Rome, and by the providence of God has met Onesimus, a runaway slave from the household of Philemon. And Paul leads him to Christ and finds him useful in his mission. We know from the letter that Onesimus had probably stolen some money from Philemon. Slaves in first century Roman society did not own anything. In fact, you've got to remember the the horror of the fact that they were owned and they weren't considered people, they were considered property. And the only way to make good an escape would have been to steal enough funds and clothing to get away to a major city where maybe they might be able to disappear in the crowd. But as he's run away, he has run straight into the arms of the gospel. And somehow, through contact with Paul, has become a follower of Jesus. And this puts him and Paul in a difficult situation. You see, if he stays with Paul, Paul is guilty of harboring a runaway slave, which is a serious crime. Onesimus is also always going to have the stigma of being a runaway. He's always going to have to be looking over his shoulder. He's always going to be a fugitive. And on top of that, how is he going to live out his new faith and uh, his involvement in the Christian mission without seeking reconciliation with those he has wronged? Even if slavery is wrong, how is he going to do that? Well, Philemon, we know, is the head of the Roman household, a Roman household and church. Uh, Aphilia may be his wife, and Archippus is possibly his son. But they're also fellow leaders in the church. And as the head of a Roman household, Philemon would have owned slaves. And we do know know that he also had come to Christ through the ministry of Paul. And he'd grown in his faith and he'd taken on a leadership role in a house church. Now, we don't have any uh, idea of the time frame of Onesimus' running away. It may have been before Philemon came to faith. And we have no idea what sort of slave owner Philemon was. You see, slaves as people uh, were of people of no status. They were open to physical abuse and deprivation, sexual abuse. They could be bought and sold. You know, has Philemon's new faith actually impacted and transformed his actions? Was there some dark history that we are not told about? 
And as an owner of slaves, Philemon would have also been expected to put out notices and a description of his runaway and had been expected to punish severely the, the slave if they were caught and returned. And Paul writes a letter and sends it along with Onesimus back to the church. And when we come to faith as Christ moves in our lives, you know, there is an, often a need for us to put things right and seek forgiveness for those things that we have done wrong in the past. In the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, about David Wilkinson's work with 1950s street gangs in New York, the thing that showed how real the conversion of gang members was, was when they were seen walking through their neighbourhoods to return all the things that they had stolen and where they would go to the police stations and apologise to the uh, police for all the trouble that they had caused and ask the police to sign their Bibles. You know, and in doing that, they were putting themselves in a very difficult situation because there was a real possibility of, persecution, of prosecution, sorry, of having to face consequences for the things that they'd done in the past. But grace demanded it. Uh, my father-in-law, Ray, um, who's no longer with us, told the story of having uh, a big industrial non-slip mat at his bakery stolen one night. Uh, a long time later, uh, uh, the thing, well, the thing that really hacked him off was that he had to buy another one, you know? And a long time later... He was rather taken back when a man walked into the store with a mat under his arm and said he'd become a Christian and wanted to return the mat that he had stolen and asked for forgiveness. Of course, Ray, as a Christian brother, forgave him. And in his typical pragmatic way, he, you know, his, now, his main concern was now, what am I going to do with two mats? Well, for Onesimus, it wasn't just simply a mat but a more serious matter. One that, as we'll uh, see next week, was and is full of these huge ethical issues. But he was willing to trust himself to God's grace and love and to seek reconciliation. And Paul starts, as he does, all his letters with a prayer of thanksgiving. And in it, he acknowledges the good things that he's heard about Philemon, the way in which he has shown his love and grace and encouraged the people of God. He tells Philemon that he could order him to welcome Onesimus back, but he chooses not to. Rather, his, his appeal is on the basis of love. You know, you can't command reconciliation and forgiveness you can't impose it on a situation. It must come from a genuine heart attitude. It must come from the passion and compassion of Christ. Paul rather takes that Christ-like approach. He'd written to the people of Philippi about having the mind of Christ, and here he demonstrates it by, allowing, by laying aside any power or status that he has. He's simply Paul. It doesn't say it in the Good News Bible, but he calls himself an old man. You can start to relate to that. A prisoner. And he stands alongside Onesimus. He's willing to take on the debt of what Onesimus has done wrong to see him restored. In fact, he takes the pen himself. Uh, he would have dictated this letter to Timothy, probably, or he had Mark with him. 
And you know, that's quite an interesting, putting Mark in first in the list of uh, people at the end there. You know, uh, Paul had been, had this, uh, you know, uh, broken relationship with Mark, but there is Mark back with him, you know? He'd been able to, in his own life, restore those sorts of situations. But in this case, he just simply wrote, you know, I will pay back. I, Paul, will pay back. He speaks out of grace that both Philemon and Onesimus have received. They have found new life in Christ. Their sins have been forgiven. Uh, this has changed their basic relationship to one another. Now, in Roman society, slaves were never considered to be fully adult. They were always seen as minors with no status. And, you know, that's reflected uh, in, um, in, you know, the, the North American um, uh, slave sort of culture of, in the 1800s because the most offensive title used of American, African-American male slaves was that they were simply called boy, you know? But Paul now turns that around to say Onesimus has become his beloved child. Through the grace and goodness of Jesus, Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he has been welcomed into the family of God and is now Paul's um, son, Paul's child, and a child of God. They are, they, they are no longer just slave and master, but they are now brothers in Christ. One no longer belongs and works for the other, but they have become partners in the gospel. Both are co-workers. You know, the gospel actually changes everything. Changes everything. It flips that society and our society on its head. And Paul uses a wonderful wordplay to describe how Onesimus' status has changed. He tells Philemon that once he was useless... Nothing more useless than a runaway slave. But now he's useful both to you and to me. And Onesimus, which in actual fact was a common slave name in Roman times, means useful. And it'd be really hard for, you know, somebody, that was their name. And what it meant was that they would be useful in this person's household or their business. You know? But even that is flipped on its head. Um, a, um, in my mother's uh, papa in her uh, ancestry is a man by the name of Grenville Sharp who was known as the uh, father of the, movement, uh, of the movement for the abolishment of slavery in England. And one day he was walking through London and uh, found a, uh, a slave who had been beaten and left for dead by his master. Uh, he took him to hospital helps when your brother happens to be the, the physician to the king and got him into the hospital, got him the best of care and uh, when he was released and rediscovered by his um, master um, fought legal battles for it to be proven that you couldn't own another person under English law. But for the sake of this, the slave's name is important because his name was Jonathan Strong. And, you know, he got the name Strong because that's how he was useful to his owners, his strength. So that gives you a sort of glimpse into the idea of Onesimus. But again, the gospel turns that on its head. It says, no longer is Onesimus only good for doing work to help Philemon's house or business, which he ran away from, but he is of eternal worth as he shares and ministers the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul asks Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. 
Not only that, but to be willing to send him to serve Paul, to be useful for the gospel. And you know, I really like word plays. Um, if you spend much time with me, you'll notice that I pun all the time. And, you know, I value Paul's play on words here. Uh, I remember words that were spoken over my life, which is kind of a Pentecostal thing to say, isn't it, when I was young? You know, things like a teacher saying, you'll never amount to anything. My own father breathing down his nose and saying, you're useless. And when I stress and, and I'm stressed, I find myself that that has become a litany of disastrous self-speak. Howard, you're useless. You're useless. And this passage speaks God's truth and healing to that. In Christ, we are Onesimus, useful, saved and loved by Christ, called by God and equipped by the Holy Spirit for his purposes and mission to love and to share the good news. And I find myself standing with Onesimus and hearing that affirmation. And maybe you need to hear that as well today. Here is the way of love that we seek to be reconciled with each other because of the grace and the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, because we've been welcomed into the family and the household of God. We have received grace, so we should show that grace to one another. We have an advocate in heaven who pleads our case for us, so we should stand alongside those who genuinely seek reconciliation and show and speak the gospel. And while many have said that Paul sounds almost like he's manipulating Philemon here, you know, you go, oh, hey, Paul, you're just buttering him up. You know, um, it, own, it comes back to what Christ has done for us. The grace, the wholeness, and peace and love that we have received in Christ. And it invites us to so show such love and grace to each other, even those who have wronged us offer them grace and love as our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, this letter would have been read out in public uh, because it has an impact on the whole church. A church made up of both household heads, free people and slaves, men and women, Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarians. And how the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus is restored would have impact on the whole church. Was Philemon going to forgive and welcome Onesimus back as a Christian brother? Maybe even free him? Which, by the way, goes beyond the bounds of the knowledge we have. But maybe that's there in Paul, when Paul says, you could do more than I could ask. Being God's people calls us to a different understanding of relationships with one another. It calls us to the way of love. Broken relationship within a church community has a damaging effect on the whole people of God and they can impact and affect a community and weaken and destroy our witness of Christ's love. It's important that we are willing to walk the road of Onesimus and seek to be reconciled with those we have wronged, to advocate for, for uh, and uh, be with each other, to be peacemakers and be willing to, be for, to forgive and reconcile. Well, as I said before, this letter is part of a story where we don't have a beginning or an end. We don't know how Philemon acted, do we? Uh, the fact that it's included in scripture may be testimony to the fact that it's an example of the way of love and great forgiveness and reconciliation. 
Uh, Onesimus is mentioned in Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, visiting the church with Thychicus, and that may be that that's the occasion of the other letter, the letter of Philemon going to that church, or it may say that Onesimus went back to, to Paul and is, is welcomed again as, a, as a, a minister of the gospel. And Onesimus is also mentioned by Ignatius, a second century church father, as being the bishop of Ephesus. But we don't really know. It's open-ended. And that invites us to step into the story, to ask the question, how would we react? To ask the question, where do we stand? What would we do in this situation? You know, are we in Onesimus's shoes? How do the constraints, how are we constrained by love and grace of God that we have experienced? Will we put ourselves in the vulnerable and dangerous position of seeking forgiveness when we've wronged someone? Even amidst the messiness of life and challenging issues. It opens us up to find ourselves in Philemon's shoes as well. How are we going to respond to the situations and broken relationships we find ourselves in? When we are confronted by the way of love, how does the gospel invite us to respond when we are wronged? In our response, how do we refresh the hearts of the believers around us? And it invites us, us to put ourselves in the shoes of Paul and advocate and be peacemakers reflecting Christ who is the ultimate peacemaker between humanity and God and calls us to share that ministry of reconciliation. Where do we stand? Whose shoes do we find ourselves in? What are we going to do? Help us, O oh God. Amen. And we're going to respond 